Welcome to episode number 43 of the Marine Lair podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we'll break down the MLB trade deadline. It's the Mariners trades in our Mariners storylines and the trades from around baseball in our MLB wraparound. We'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. And you guys know, but just a reminder, if you want to listen to our full form podcast and you're listening on YouTube... You can go over to our audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do that, make sure to follow us. Make sure to go download our episodes. Give us a five-star review. It helps big time. And on the reverse side of that, if you're listening on the audio side, check us out on YouTube, guys. We do a bunch of stuff on YouTube. So hit subscribe, turn the notification bells on, like, comment, all that good stuff. Social media, you guys know as well, but Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube Shorts, can follow those channels at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording post deadline here on Tuesday, August 1st. And I already miss Paul Seawald. That was a long day yesterday. It really was a long day. And it actually took more out of me mentally and emotionally than I thought it was going to. Especially being there at the ballpark and seeing it all go down and seeing Paul Seawald talk to the media kind of hit home. And it hit you hard. You realize how much of a fan favorite he was. From our episodes last week when we talked about Paul Seawald, I tricked myself into thinking it was not going to happen. Seeing the result they got we'll break down the trade here in a little bit seeing what they actually got from the trade it's not overly shocking that jerry ended up pulling the trigger on that trade but i i saw in my mind paul seawald as a member of the mariners this year and the mariners next year as a very crucial part of what they hope is a winning ball club and now instead he's going to go get the chance down in arizona and bolster a Diamondbacks bullpen that has struggled quite a bit here over the last couple of months. So he is a pretty good addition for themselves. But the Mariners did out okay too. Crazy, crazy day of news yesterday in Mariner world. Kind of quiet today. Kind of shocking, I'm going to be honest. Um, but Lyle, you were there yesterday at the ballpark, planning to talk to Luis for some of our social media content. But instead, you got sucked into a whole different whirlwind. Wasn't what I was expecting, I'll tell you that. I mean, you have to try and prepare for it, being Jerry DePoto is the president of baseball ops for the Mariners. There were rumors about players being potentially traded, and it was getting close to the deadline. But the Mariners are home for three games this week against the Red Sox, and they go back on the road, then they're back home. We had tried to coordinate with, and did coordinate with, the PR team about doing some of our social media interviews with Luis and ask him a few questions. And uh, one of the PR guys is bilingual he was going to help us translate for Luis which we were really excited about we thought it would be a really cool thing that we could do but I'm walking over there yesterday I'm walking across the sky bridge over to go get my media pass I open the door and I get the pass and notification so I have his notifications turned on as I think most baseball fans that are diehard about this stuff do I get the notification immediately and in very Roy Kent fashion I see it and I'm just like in a whispering voice, fuck. <laughs> if you know Ted Lasso, you know that. You know that reference. One, because I was sad to see Seawald go, but two, as soon as I saw that, I was like, this Luis thing is not happening today, is it? Because it's about to be 
chaos. And that's what happened. We'll have to do it another time, which is okay. But it turned into doing a lot of Paul Seawald's content. We had Scott Service talking to the media. We had Paul Seawald talking to the media. It was very, very quiet around the ballpark pregame yesterday, which isn't shocking. Like I, I said it in our little layer talk video, which if you see our Twitter or Instagram story, you can find it. It was nothing like the Kendall Graveman trade. Like guys weren't outwardly mad or anything like that. I think guys were just disappointed because he was a good clubhouse guy. And that's not even selling it right. He was a great clubhouse guy. So I think guys were just going through it a little bit yesterday. I think we should have started the pod two years earlier, just so you could have been there instead for the Graveman trade. I think that would have been, I think that, I I, I told you yesterday, while I was disappointed we didn't get Luis, I thought our social media content yesterday was was phenomenal. People really appreciated it. You mentioned like no one's taking videos of these scrums with the players before the game. You'll see them tweet something out in, in text, but no one's actually going to get a video of it. But you're putting videos out of it and people on Twitter were really, really loving it. So that it was good in that aspect. But could you imagine like what kind of content we get if you were there for the for the Graveman trade? I think that I think it would I think it would have topped it. If Kyle Seeger had actually put some of those quotes out to the media with video recording him, and then that just gets pushed out onto Twitter like five minutes later of him saying that the GM of the team just plays fantasy baseball up in his office. <laughs> 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 I mean, that deadline was unbelievable. I mean, Ryan Divish deserves a lot of credit for that because he did a really good job of reporting what happened inside that clubhouse during the deadline. But some of the quotes that came out two years ago were just absurd. That's the difference between the team two years ago and this year. Two years ago, there was still a lot of animosity toward the front office. I mean, Kendall Graveman had issues with the front office before he was traded. You know, Kyle Seeger had some issues. It was an older group of guys paired with young and up-and-coming talent. I think this core group in 2023 understands the vision, and they might not have been excited about Paul Seawall getting traded again. His teammates loved him. Pretty much everybody loved him. But I think there was more of an understanding this time. What would you have tweeted when you saw Abe Toro walk past you in an M's uniform? I'm not sure I would have even recognized them. I mean, if the name had been on the back of his jersey, I would have recognized them. But if he had just had a Mariner sweatshirt on, I probably would have not thought twice about it, honestly. That's fun to think about. That's why the deadline is so fun. Overall, though, to be honest, for this deadline, I did think it was a little underwhelming. There were some big names that went around, but wasn't really a, a true, I would say, true explosive blockbuster that went down. Yeah, I agree with all that. Let me flip the question back to you here, dog. What would you have tweeted if you saw Abe Toro walk by in a Mariners jersey? Because I'm going to go with something along the lines of, this man has done miracles on me. Uh, who? what would I have done? See, at that point, I would not have come to the conclusion that he was the worst baseball player I've ever seen. <laughs> so there might have, been a, might have been a slight twinge of optimism if I hadn't known that Graveman was on the other side of it. I would yeah, say. remember the first two weeks when he lit the world on fire and we thought, oh my God. Yeah, and he had a bad of like 500. And then everything everything he put the bat on would, would drop for a hit. And then right, from there on out after those first two weeks, he was essentially a 25-year-old version of 2023 Colton Wong. I would love to dig up all the texts that TJ's sent me over the over the last year and a half regarding the name Abe Toro. Maybe we'll do some off-season reading. When it gets slow during the off-season, we'll, we'll dig some out and we'll, we'll pick some good ones. 
Oh, that would be great. I can't wait for that. Uh, let's pocket that idea. Honestly, I don't think that's too terrible of an idea. Let's get to uh, our Mariners storylines. So we could talk a little bit about this Paul Seawald trade. We'll lead off with Paul. The full package for Paul Seawald. He goes to the Diamondbacks. The Mariners receive uh, now Major League outfielder Dominic Canzone, utility man Josh Rojas, and minor league infielder Ryan Bliss. For a reliever with a year and a half of control left, I don't think you can complain about this package too much. Canzone just got done destroying AAA. Ben, when I say destroying AAA, he was quite legitimately the best hitter in AAA this season. Rojas is coming off a three-win season last last year in 2022, despite struggling this year at the plate. And Bliss, when I talk about Canzone being the best hitter in AAA, Bliss was the best hitter in, across all of AA. Or, sorry, second best hitter in AA behind Kobe Mayo of the Baltimore Orioles, who's a top 100 prospect. So it's kind of intriguing that Jerry grabbed the best hitter at each the AAA and AA level this year as those high minor bats that he was kind of looking for and what he told us he was looking for going into this deadline. Does Dominic Canzone remind you anything of Mitch Hanniger? And I'm not even talking about the play style because obviously he's a left-handed bat, Mitch is a righty, but just the sense of he is not some blue chip prospect. He is in the Diamondbacks top 30. He was ranked the Diamondbacks number 19 prospect at the time of this trade. But 25 years old, just tore up the minor leagues, starting to pick up some steam and momentum and feels like could be the type of player that really turns into something despite being a little bit older. Their OPSs were nearly identical each of their 25-year-old AAA seasons in Reno. Like nearly identical. I think it speaks volumes. And look, we know some people in the Mariners organization and we talked to some people the last couple days and through the grapevine, we've heard some stuff about from what scouts have said about Dominic Canzone, the take on this is the Mariners have been interested in him for a while. I think they've liked his bat for a long time. And their mindset was this was the last chance they had to go get Dominic Canzone before he absolutely exploded and basically would take a King's ransom to trade for down the road. They thought this was their last chance to get him before he absolutely burst onto the scene. So I don't think this is an Abe Toro trade for the Mariners. I think they see this as a guy that could be an impact bat. Give him a little time. He's had 15 big league games. But I think this is a guy they really believe in and part of their future core. I'm shocked that neither of us decided that it was an immediate red flag that he went to a Big Ten school. Yeah, we had a take about that for a while, didn't we? That we always said, don't draft Big Ten players in the MLB draft because who in the world are they playing against? <laughs> Pretty much. The, the results speak for themselves, but I think Canzone's carved out a, a bit of a role for himself. Before we go back to analyzing Canzone, I thought it was so funny that, so Lyle and I were in the Cape League in 2018, obviously, and I was like, oh, well, I do remember Dom Canzone. I do remember the team I called games for playing against him multiple times, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm gonna go back and, and find the games he played in. I was kind of curious. I, re- I remember the final game of my first summer there, Canzone had two hits in in my team who was the best team in the league all season against Canzone's Brewster Whitecaps who were among the worst teams in the league that year and then the the Brewster and Canzone's team upset the team I called games for which is very intriguing Canzone had a couple hits in that game and so that was a that was a fond memory but in in looking back at that I 
went to the wrong year of Brewster and Whitey Red Sox games, and I looked down at it, and I'm like, oh, shit, that's Ryan Bliss re- leading off for Brewster. <laughs> I had no idea. I totally forgot that he played for Brewster as well. So that really that really brought back some memories. We're really right in that window where all those guys we saw in 2018 and 2019 are about at the time where they're going to be getting up to the big leagues. So it's not shocking that we recognize a lot of names that are getting up now because we saw a bunch of these guys. The Cape League features, for those who don't know, the best of the best college players throughout the country that go to Cape Cod to play baseball throughout the summer. So we saw a ton of these guys throughout those two summers. So, yeah, we saw Dom Canzone. We saw Ryan Bliss. We saw a bunch of other guys. I mean, shit, Tommy Henry on Friday. <laughs> right, on, right, right, at, right at Chase Field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, we saw Kirby there. We saw Spencer Torkelson there. I mean, we could rattle off names forever. But it is funny that these guys are going to be playing in Seattle now. Again, I think Canzone is a guy that could really – make some da- really do some damage down the road. Look at what he did. I mean, you talk about even his triple A time. Look at last year in double A. He played 15 games there last year. 223 WRC plus before he was promoted to triple A. I mean, and then you look at 2021 when he was in double A again, 171 WRC plus. I mean, this guy had 32 homers in the minors over the last two years. Doesn't strike out a lot. Feels like a guy that could really do some damage. I know PCL pitching really isn't great, but it was dead, almost dead even walks and strikeouts. What's really fascinating about his PCL stats, it is, it's such a hitter's league, but we're talking about a guy in a hitter's league who led the entire league in average slugging, WRC+, plus, OPS, weighted on base average, and this is all, all of these stats while having the fourth lowest strikeout rate in the league. That's absurd. 149 was the number this year. 149 WRC plus he put up in AAA this year. So that's 49% above league average. We even saw it a little bit during this Diamondbacks Mariners series. Remember those two balls he scorched, but they went for nothing? I mean, he was hitting the ball hard in that series. Hell, he had the game-winning hit in game two. He had that little C&I single up the middle against Munoz, which, by the way, I'd like to protest that now that he's on the Mariners, they should actually get that game back. Just I'm just going to throw that out there. The Mariners should I'm actually. Down. I'm down. Yeah. That it might negate it though that Paul Seawold pitched in some of the couple of those games too. Oh, that's true. Okay, so forget I said that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard not to be excited about. It's hard not to be excited about what Canzone could do. Again, the club control I think is what the kicker in this deal was. The fact that Josh Rojas is not a free agent until after 2026, so you get three and a half years with him. If he goes back to being the player that he was last year, that is a guy that will be valuable for the Mariners. If he goes back to being a two to three win player, that is a guy that's going to contribute. If he's not, he, it doesn't really matter if you let him go or send him down. And Canzone's clock has not even started. So you're talking about 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29. You're talking about six and a half years of Dom Canzone. So for a guy that had a year and a half left in Paul Seawald, again, it is really crushing to see him go. I, I was really devastated to see that he was getting traded away yesterday. But when you look at the full perspective of it, it makes sense. It makes sense that you are buying bats that could help this team in an area where they have struggled. They do not have enough offense. They do not have enough left-handed production. I get it. I'll I'll I'll, I'll save my my I would say my comments on Seawald in in the process of trading him. Let's I would say let's let's finish out this return first. So okay. Josh Rojas had a had a three win season last year. He's twenty nine. 
He's got decent control of the strike zone. I think his biggest problem is he really just doesn't hit the ball hard enough. He does play quite a few positions overall defensively. He's a pretty clear net negative on the infield for his career, negative 22 defensive run save, but he is plus 10 def- de- uh, excuse me, defensive runs saved in the outfield in the corners. And outside of this season, he's walked over 10% of the time in each one of his big league seasons. So there's a, there's a bit of a, of a Jerry mold here, an older utility player with three years of control after this season. And I'm I'm, I'm guessing they assume that he's going to look a little bit more like the player he was last year when he was worth three wins opposed to the season or the player that he is this year when he's not worth three wins. He has a good arm too, for whatever it's worth. I mean, he's in the 60th to 80th percentile in terms of arm strength. It's ranged from year to year. That's a little bit different than Colton Wong's first percentile arm strength, which we've talked about throughout the year. We figured, oh, he doesn't have a good arm. Doesn't matter. He's playing second base. No, that's made a difference on double plays. So even if for the most part he plays outfield, which where he is better, if he's in the infield, you at least know you're going to get a guy with an arm. So between that, between his ability to hit right-handed pitching, which he does do, by the way, left-handed bat that hits righties pretty well, at least if you look back at last year, I think this is a net positive, too. When you look at what you got from Colton Wong and A.J. Pollock in the outfield, paired with what Rojas could do at each of those positions— I, I think I think it's a win. Well, it can't be worse than it was. Right. It, that, that's and, exactly right. Right. And I would say that's kind of where we're at with Josh Rojas. I kind of feel like even though Rojas is the most established big leaguer, he was a throw-in in this trade. That's what I think. Because if we get to Ryan Bliss, who's the third member in the, the minor league part of this trade, he just got done putting fire to the Texas League. I mean, this dude... But let, let's just shed some background. He is 5'6". Uh, what does he weigh? 165. 5'6", 165. Out of Auburn. Teammate of, of Matt Scheffler, by the way. Friend of the pod. And here here's some uh, some double-A numbers from our 5'6", 165-pound friend. Uh, does this sound like someone who's that small? 358, 414, 594, 162 WRC+. Plus. 8% walk rate. He was second across the board in hitting hitting statistics behind Kobe Mayo at double A. That's that's pretty absurd as a second baseman. And he doesn't strike out much. I mean, does that sound like Jose Altuve? It does. Yes, it does. I didn't want I I didn't want to be the one to make such a bold assertion, but uh, yeah, it does. Yes, it does. Can we put them next to each other, please? I I need that visual. Yeah, it might be a little bit better than the Aaron Judge Jose Altuve visual. Yeah, I think it'll be a little f- more fair to both parties. We're not saying Bliss is going to turn into Altuve, but we are saying there's something to like here. When he gets up to the big leagues, I don't know. Maybe it'll be at some point next year. I would assume he spends the rest of the year in Tacoma because he was in AAA at the time of the trade. He's only played a couple handfuls of games down in AAA so far. But again, this team needs help at second base. They have had issues with it since Robbie Cano left the team. It didn't work with Adam Frazier. It didn't work with Colton Wong. They're going to try to figure it out now. You would hope between either Rojas and his ability to play a lot of different spots, between Caballero, between Dylan Moore, and between eventually Ryan Bliss, somebody can stick there. That is your hope. And from what Bliss has done so far in the minors, we don't know if it's going to work for certain or not. But it's hard to not be at least intrigued. Did you see that home run the dude hit on Sunday? Oh, it was crushed. 
Yeah. 454 feet to dead center field. Like, dead center, like, opposite, like, center, left center. I think uh, against Oklahoma City. I think it might have been in Oklahoma City. I can't exactly remember. But it's crazy for someone of his stature to have that kind of power. That's that's pretty crazy. I know the PCL is makes could make me and you both look like good hitters, but that ball did was punched. It, it was absolutely punched. What's really fascinating about Bliss, if you go back to last year, he sucked. Like, he was bad in high A. He was really, really struggling and made uh i think he he made some adjustments to get a little bit shorter to the ball this year I was reading some some analysis i think it was from sam dykstra uh i think don't don't hold me to that yes it was sam dykstra who was noting kind of some of the adjustments he made in the offseason and came out and turned himself into a quality prospect so i'm 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 intrigued i'm excited i'm i'm going to imagine he'll see the big leagues at some time next season and if he continues to hit in the PCL, he's off to a bit of a slower start in the PCL, as expected. But if he turns around and starts hitting PCL pitching, he's going to see some time at second next year. Let's be clear. The headline of this trade is Canzone. Like, we just highlighted each of the three guys. You mentioned you don't think Rojas is the guy that headlines the trade. Maybe he's more of a throw-in. The headliner's Canzone. If Dominic Canzone turns into a productive ball player and a good hitter, that's a win for the Mariners because that is the guy they are banking on to make this trade work. I have one more note here on Ryan Bliss. I want to shout out Joe Doyle. I mean, talk about something aging like fine wine. Joe Doyle had a tweet in 2021, April 30th, 2021, when Bliss was still at Auburn. He tweeted, uh, I believe this is a home run from, from Bliss, and says, someone is going to draft Ryan Bliss in the second round. He was a second round pick and have a top 10 second baseman for the next decade. Pin tweet. And now the Mariners get to find out if that's actually true or not. I didn't see Joe tweet that. Wow, that's wild. How'd you yeah, find that? He did do that. And then there's another one. There's another tweet, which is which is even, even funnier, deja vu. Ryan Bliss re- responding to the Mariners. December 10th, 2014, the, the M social media took a picture of T-Mobile or then Safeco Field lit up at night like a like a Christmas tree. And Bliss responds to it and says, my dream, at Mariners, at MLB, my dream one day. Uh, plain emoji, baseball emoji. So it's speaking. It's speaking. We're speaking wishes into existence. That tweet I did see. I didn't see Joe's tweet about Bliss from two years ago, but that's pretty wild. Listen, if, if Ryan Bliss wants to be a top 10 second baseman, you're not going to hear a single Mariners fan say a single word otherwise. Like, you are more than welcome to do so is what we're getting at. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with The Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Okay, so let's get to the painful part of this trade. Paul Seawald. I gotta say, I I appreciate Paul Seawald so much 
for what he did for the Mariners the last two and a half seasons. A guy who signed as a minor league free agent couldn't have been a more valuable piece to this Mariners roster and still, I personally believe, would have been a valuable piece this year and next year. Sad to see him go. Very sad to see him go. But very happy he's going to get an opportunity in Arizona. And yeah, it's it was it was tough for me to see this yesterday. It really was. And it, I think it's interesting for the Mariners because I, I put it to you as I said before we started recording. Despite everything we just highlighted with these minor leaguers, I don't see how this trade makes the Mariners better this year or next year, unless Dom Canzone is like a borderline all-star. I, I I don't really see it. I think they just feel like they need offense. I don't know if I totally agree with that. I mean, I agree that Paul Sewald, of course, would have continued to help the team. But I think they look at what their needs are now and going forward. And they said, do we have a better chance to develop a bat in the meantime or to find a couple more effective relievers. You look at the pipeline. There are not hitters coming up the ranks outside of Harry Ford in the next couple of years. We talked about that during the draft. This wave of Mariners that's going to be the next group that gets up to the big leagues, they're a long ways out. Again, we've talked about the Cole Youngs, the Colt Emersons, Felnine Celestin, Lazaro Montez, etc. Those guys are a long way away. And the core that's up in the big leagues now, that wave's already here. There's not much in the middle. I think they believe that they have to go get bats that are going to help now and are club controllable and bank on the fact that they can continue to do what they've always done over the last three years and just pump out relievers. And that's going to be get put, put to the test because outside of Andres Munoz, they have not replicated the success they've had with Paul Seawald. So Paul, it just makes you realize how unique of a baseball player Paul Seawald was from being a minor league free agent in his arm slot, not throwing upper 90s, and still being as effective as ever. So the only other guy in the Jerry DePoto era who they've managed to get close to the level of Paul Seawald is Andres Munoz, and he throws 101 miles an hour. So that's where you think it's like, okay, that now is time to, to step up and, and really put that to the test. Let's throw Edwin Diaz in there too. That's... That is true. That he was he was pretty good. Yeah, but another guy who also throws 101 miles an hour. I'm I'm, may, I'm more thinking sort of in the in the Seawald role because we can say like Munoz and Diaz have electric like have absolutely electric stuff and both throw insanely hard, which makes it a little bit easier to to develop. That's true. They have not found many guys like Seawald that throw 90 to 93. And are that effective. I think Penn Murphy was really good last year. I thought he was good this year before he got injured, but he's going to be out a while. I think they've found relievers that have been good. You've seen guys like Topa that just rely on soft contact and it's worked for him. Gabe Spire gets a ton of guys to chase from the left side. That's worked for him. You've seen some of these young guys in spurts. I would assume that they're going to bank on these guys to continue to develop if they're okay with trading Seawald away. I would think they're going to rely on Isaiah Campbell, we saw him in the ninth on Monday. I think they're going to bring Prelander Baroa back up here in the near future because I think that is a guy they value and think could be a back-end bullpen arm long-term. We'll see if they continue to pitch Devin Sweet at all. I mean, we know that changeup is good when it's on. I think that's what they're going with here. I think they're relying on those guys more. But you are right. In terms of Paul Seawald's production, 
paired with not having triple digit stuff, they have not found replications of that. And now is where I, I think this is a good transition to our next storyline because I think this kind of bleeds in to that. And we sit here and we think, okay, so thinking in terms of now next season, because we look at what the Mariners did at the deadline and they essentially, they, they retooled, they did, but they did sell off a major league quality piece in returns for unproven major league quality pieces for the most part for next year. And it, and it raises the question of, if we're thinking about next year now at this trade deadline, because that's what it seems like this deadline was aimed towards. Why do we think they did not do anything else? I don't think the value was there for Teoscar Hernandez. You're talking about getting better for this year and next year, or lack thereof, which you feel like may have happened with this trade because they didn't get big league talent ready now. But what are they going to get for Teoscar that's going to do that in the next year and a half? I think what we saw was the value wasn't there. They might have gotten some minor league bat. Maybe he'd pan out long term. Maybe he wouldn't. But Teoscar has two two months left on his contract. He's striking out a ton. He has had a down year. And he's a free agent. I just don't think you were going to get that much back for him. It was going to be nothing like the seawall to return. They think that the value of him turning down a qualifying offer and getting a draft pick would instead be better. I'm I'm guessing, right? The the way I think about this, though, with without any other pieces being sold off the roster, they sold Seawald because it was a seller's market. Teams were desperately overpaying for some of these players that we saw go on the deadline. But so the seawall trade happens and I, I then am expecting something else because if it's really that fruitful for sellers, then they would, they would spring something else. Now, you know, teams don't have to pay for a player significantly underperforming like Teoscar Hernandez, but I did think it was curious that the approach for Paul Seawald was, Oh, it's a seller's market. We can get a lot for him, despite what the ramifications might be for our pitching staff next year, opposed to what they believe in for this roster next year. What this tells me is that despite Teoscar Hernandez not getting traded, that they probably do see, as at least for uh, at least right now, they do see guys like Suarez and Ty France on this roster next year. At least right now, this deadline told us that. Correct. And you didn't even mention the possibility of does Teoscar Hernandez take a qualifying offer? I think that's possible after the year he just had. If he gets 18 million bucks to stick in Seattle another year, I think him and his agent would consider that. I also think that, again, I I just can't stress this enough. I don't think what they were getting back was going to help them win anytime soon for Teoscar Hernandez. I think Teoscar himself could. And it's like we talked about on the last show. I still think Teoscar long-term could turn this thing around and be of significant value to this team. I think he's just having a very down year. I don't see why he can't turn it around next year. I don't see why the Mariners couldn't bring him back on some club-friendly deal or a qualifying offer. I think that between being three and a half out of the last wild card, four and a half out of the AL West, and what the market was telling them Teoscar Hernandez was worth or Ty France was worth, they didn't do it. They said, you know what? We're not just selling off to get prospects. If we think that we are not getting back guys that are going to help us in the near future, then we're not going to just trade these guys away. I know you feel like trading Seawald was essentially giving up this year and next year. Not giving up, but like you're not getting the roster better by acquiring Canzone and Rojas and Bliss. 
I think the Mariners feel like those guys could help sooner or later, especially with Canzone being on the older side. I don't think what they were getting offered for France or Teoscar or Gino, whoever else, was going to do that. Well, the, the thing hinges on Canzone hitting. And if Canzone next year in his first full big league season is a league average hitter, then you aren't getting much better because you already have those guys in your system. You already have a Cade Marlowe and you already have other guys, maybe a Zach Deloach, who you feel like could give you the same level of production. I think the Mariners expect more out of Dom Canzone, but we haven't obviously seen the results yet because he has not played that many major league games. This is sort of a, a wait and see experiment. I just... I expected more of this deadline to gear up towards next season, at least from the Paul Seawald angle, and I don't think I really saw it. I don't think so, which means this offseason, as we keep saying, is going to be quite, quite important. So I don't know. I just I was expecting more, I would say. I I was expecting more after after Seawald. That's fine, but if you're not getting big league talent back for Teoscar or Ty or Gino, do you really want to trade them? Probably not. I'm just, I'm not totally high on Ty France at the moment, but the league also might not have been high on Ty France. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't have gotten anything. It just kind of, it just kind of leaves you in this odd spot that if they're, these guys value does not go up in the off season. Well, then they're going to be on your roster next year. And there's no guarantee these guys get better next year. They're all just going to be a year older, right? So that's something you have to to take into consideration where this, it, it keeps getting labeled. The, the time where players are available for you to bolster your roster and get better are at the trade deadline and in the offseason. Well, we just passed the trade deadline. So your next option to implement something on this roster would be in the offseason. And if you can't do that and the value's not really high enough, and then you're just, I would say, stuck with a Ty France or a Eugenio Suarez as they age another year next year and you're not loving the production they, they bring out, then you're kind of screwed, right? Sure, but again, if you're getting minor leaguers back for them, it still doesn't make any sense to trade them. It makes more sense to roll with the dice that those guys can continue to do something at the big league level to help the team. Also, I'm going to be honest about Gino. I know when our first half report cards came out, we gave him a bit of a hard grade because of how tough he'd had, how tough it had been for him offensively at the plate. He's still on pace for about a two-win season. If he puts up a two-win season at third base, that's still a valuable third baseman. It's not an all-star third baseman or the four-win year he had last year, but it is something. He didn't lose the team games. It is. I guess I'm, I'm in a wait-and-see moment with this, I will say. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. I just I just think if you're not going to get big league talent back for those guys, it's not worth it to deal them. And speaking of that, I'm not saying this was the Mariners' motive. But we have tied back to this very story many, many times over the last six months, and I think it's going to continue to be relevant. I'm not saying this was the Mariners' motive. But if you want to sales pitch Shohei Otani in the winter, and he just saw your team that was three and a half games out of a wild card spot, hypothetically, trade Seawald, trade Teoscar, trade Gino, trade Ty France. Is he really going to look at this place and say, man, those guys really want to win? Those guys that are just trading off big league talent left and right? Is he going to say that for watching him trade Paul Seawald three and a half games out of a wild card spot? I think it's a little different to trade one reliever than mm-hmm. if they trade three bats on top of it. 
that's you're right. You're right about the bats, but it's it's not like anything they did at the deadline is selling Shohei Otani. Nothing they did on this deadline is doing that. It's a net negative, or it's not a. It's a net zero. I should say. Net. It's a net zero. I would say. However, if they had gone and traded all those bats, it does go into the negative. That's true. It'll be interesting to see how this. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's just another thought that came to mind. I'm not saying that was the Mariners' motive, but I do think that just domino effect down the road, if they had done that, it may have paid. It may have been consequential. I do want to give a shout out, by the way, speaking of Otani, to Zach Anders, who's listener of the show, DM'd us on social media. Remember a couple weeks ago when we said, hey, if anybody out there knows who started those come to Seattle chants for Otani, can you DM us or just let us know who you are? And we got a DM. We didn't check it for a while because I guess they were hidden, but we saw this DM from them and said, hey, just so you know, like that was me that started those chants. I was like, oh, are you serious? He's like, yeah, like we got everybody rallied around it. We saw that Otani was kind of foot one foot in, one foot out. About Oh, maybe I'd consider Seattle. So we got the chant going at the All-Star game and all of a sudden it went stadium-wide and nationwide. So shout out to you, Zach, because you put Seattle on the map. Let's go. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for reaching out, Zach. We will try and be better about responding to DMs. That's a uh, that's an inexperienced factor on our part. But anyone, if you guys have questions about anything, really, please don't hesitate. We will see them. I promise. We will see them. So will we respond? Maybe. But we will see them. So if you have anything you would like to contribute, please don't hesitate. If it's a good question, we will certainly respond. And also, yes. if you have questions, if we have, if you have questions you want us to ask players, we've talked about that. We'll respond to those for sure. Somebody sent us a DM giving us a couple of ideas for questions they might want to hear players get asked, and we told them, "Oh yeah, those are good ideas. We'll definitely try and do them." So, yeah, don't hesitate. Shout out to Zach. I will say he lives overseas because I said to him, "You've got to bring this back in September." And he said, I would, but I'm going to be overseas when the Angels are in town. So I won't be back till the holidays around December. That got me thinking, I may have to take matters into my own hands and our own hands here. We may have to do some real promotion that week. I've been thinking, I'm going to circle back to this more when it gets closer. But I think I might show up the games and start like handing people note cards about make sure you're, or not note cards, but like, what, are, what do you flyers. call them? Not even flyers, flyers like, like. Like like a little tiny hand. I remember when business um, card. I don't know why I'm blanking on the name right now, but yeah, it's something like a business card or something along that size to tell people you are chanting for Shohei Otani to come to Seattle every single at bat when the Angels are in town because he noticed it once. Now imagine if you do it ten times throughout a series. I'm, I may yeah. I'm, he'd, he'd notice. I may take matters into my own hands with that because listen. I'm not saying we have a huge voice now, but we do have some voice from the people we reach on social media. So if I can go around to people and get flyers out and get people chanting during that series, fans are trying to do everything they can to get them here. I'll play my part. Let's just do some house cleaning here before we close out our Mariners storylines. Lyle, I forgot to load up the violin music into our into our media bank. The sad violin music they played on the Titanic as it was sinking. But I thought that kind of music would have been proper as the final two days of AJ Pollock and Colton Wong on this roster have finally concluded. Yeah, that was an experience. 
The Giants traded for A.J. Pollock. That's how it was worded online, so that's what I'm taking it as. They they did. Now they gave up cash considerations in return, but they did trade for him. Sounds fine to me. (laughs) I do wonder what the Giants think they're getting value-wise out of him. Just objectively, he's injured right now, and he hasn't exactly looked like he's entered the fountain of youth this year. Maybe they were a big fan of Mark Mathias. Oh, that's possible. Yeah, we should add that. That was the other part of the trade. The Mariners sent minor league infielder Mark Mathias over to the Giants, who was down in AAA. It's not like he was lighting it up or anything. He was fine. But maybe the Giants like him. And Colton Wong on hug watch today in the Mariners clubhouse. From everything we could tell, Colton Wong was very much liked in the Mariners clubhouse. Just the production on the field was just atrocious. So Colton Wong was DFA today along with a handful of other moves, Canzone and Rojas activated onto the roster. Taylor Trammell also sent down. I've got to feel like Trammell might be a little frustrated at this point, getting up on the Mariners roster as he's sent back to Tacoma again, uh, and what seems like this never-ending seesaw for him. I agree. It's just been hard, and it's too bad because he had such a good spring before he got hurt. You figured maybe this was the year he was going to turn it around, and it just hasn't happened. I would be frustrated if I was Tramell, and I get it. It's a tough life. It's a tough life being one of those quad A guys. You don't know what your role is. You just want an opportunity. So you do feel for him, but you probably knew it was happening with the Canzone move that you had to clear up a roster spot. They added Trent Thornton, too. I mean, Juan Ten got up for a day on Monday, and now he's been sent back down for Thornton, who, again, we talked about in our last show. That guy has some ridiculous stuff. Maybe he provides some value for the Mariners' bullpen. Just got to put it in the strike zone. We'll see. I'm curious what their plan is with him and where they deploy him. It'd probably have to be a blowout, but I'd be intrigued if he's pitching tonight. I'll I'll turn it on. I'll make sure to pay attention. Uh, I'll are lastly, we'll just, sorry, go ahead. Do you want Are you not going to have the game on anyway? I, I I will. I have to work tonight. So I, I only have so many focuses. I only can focus so much on, on so many things at one time, especially if I have to edit this show too. So okay. we got to, uh, we got to balance. I don't want to. I don't want to send myself crazy, but I'll. Uh, I'll do my best. Last housekeeping note, Lyle. I know you were jumping up and down that the Mariners acquired did a, make a trade today. They acquired Eduardo Bizardo from Baltimore. He was DFA'd uh, earlier this season. I think or last earlier this week. He'll just be in AAA. He's had a little yeah. bit of big league time. He hasn't really lit the world on fire when he's been in the big leagues. I'm sure now, especially with Thornton going up, Seawald getting traded, they just wanted another depth bullpen arm. So this is what they landed on. I mean, it's probably similar to how they got Zach Muckenhern, and now he's down in AAA. They gave up Logan Reinhardt as a result, who I think has decent stuff, but he hasn't exactly had the production that the Mariners were looking for in his time in the minors. So they parted ways with him to go get Bizarro. We'll see what he does in Tacoma. All right, let's get to our MLB wraparound. We got a lot to cover here in this wraparound. While there wasn't that one marquee move, there were some pretty busy teams. Let's start off with the Texas Rangers. Everything is indeed bigger in Texas. The Rangers go out and they really go grab some key pieces for their playoff run. They got Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals. They got uh, Chris Stratton from the Cardinals as well. He'll go in the bullpen. Then the Rangers go out and they get Max Scherzer. And, I, and I'm thinking about this because we'll touch on the other trade here a little bit later in the wraparound. But the AL West is now in its current state. 
a healthy DeGrom away from having the Mount Rushmore of 2010's arms in it at the same time. Sans Kershaw. I was going to say, okay, they've got three of the four, but I was going to say DeGrom, Scherzer, Verlander. Who's the last one? Yeah, Kershaw. Yeah. Okay, am I going to have to be the one to say it? Am I going to be the one that has to puff my chest out and say what I have to say about Max Scherzer? You can. I don't know how much. I don't know how much pushback you'll get from me. I I kind of agree with you, but I'll I'll let you I'll let you say it. He really hasn't been very good this year. I know this trade made waves because Max Scherzer is a slam dunk first ballot future Hall of Famer, probably as slam dunk as it gets. He has had an unbelievable career. He was unbelievable last year, even with the Mets, just one season ago. We're seeing father time now catch up to him. His FIPs at 472, his ERAs above four, his walk rates up, his peripherals are all trending in the wrong direction, and he's got less than a full war to his name this season. I know this, this trade made headlines because it's Max Scherzer, and maybe the Rangers see this as he has postseason experience. He is a well-established veteran. He could really help the young guys on this team for a little bit. But in terms of what you're getting from Max Scherzer, I don't see it. I, I think he's now caught up with father or father time is caught up with him and he's just going the wrong way. Now it's entirely possible. He could empty the gas tank for the final two months of the season and have a little bit more motivation now that he's on a winning team opposed to the Mets. But his, his strikeout rate is also near the lowest uh, it's been since 2011. His velocity is also near the lowest of his career. It's just not something that mixes well with giving up legally NL leading 23 home runs. Very curious. I do think this does make the Rangers better. They did have, they have had some instability in their rotation with Evaldi going on the injured list with a forearm strain. He is supposed to be back, but he's kind of fallen off here in the second half as his innings have really piled up. And there's one thing we know, and Max Scherzer is pretty durable. He'll go out there and toss a bunch of innings. Now the question is whether those innings are going to be, really quality or not. So I think that's curious. They did have to give up Ronald Acuna's brother, Luis, uh, Luis Angel Acuna. That's how you say, is it Luis Angel or Luis Angel? There you go. Second time. Angel or Angel? Angel. Luis Angel Acuna. Okay, cool. Glad I got that right. Who's a top 100 prospect. He's number 44 on pipeline and he's done very, very, very well in, in double A this year. He's got a, uh, he's got what? 40 stolen bases. Yeah, he's 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 a stud. So the Mets essentially, which I think is fascinating in this retrospect, we saw this again with their Verlander trade, which we'll touch on. They're they're at the point where instead of Steve Cohen is buying big leaguers, he is buying prospects instead. They went all in this year. It makes it almost reminds me of twenty fifteen AJ Preller and the Padres, where they went all in that one year when they went and traded for James Shields, traded for Justin Upton, traded for Craig Kimbrell, all those guys. And then it didn't work and they sold everybody off. It's basically what the Mets did this year. They went for it, but now they're selling everybody off. And now they're getting prospects back. We'll touch on some of the other prospects they got here in a minute. But they're going to retool. And from what Billy Epler told Max Scherzer, their window and goal is now 2025 or 2026 to begin competing again. So they're trying to get back what they can. I don't know if this helps the Rangers or not. I don't know if Max Scherzer is really going to be any good. Again, it's going to make headlines, but I am in wait-and-see mode with what Max Scherzer does down in Arlington. So Jordan Montgomery, I would say, is not going to move the needle for you either. 
This one actually does a little bit more. And Jordan Montgomery's not a guy that strikes a bunch of guys out. He's not a guy that has great peripherals, but he gets a ton of ground balls. He has had a great year by the numbers this year. He doesn't give up home runs. He doesn't walk many guys. I think he does provide some stability for the Rangers in that rotation. To the Rangers' credit, they're actually sixth in baseball in starters ERA. Even with all the problems they've had, with Evaldi going down, obviously DeGrom's out until 2025. Martin Perez has not had a good year. They've still fared well among their rotation, but they make it even better with if Scherzer can find anything in the tank and with adding Montgomery for two months. And another piece that was really key to them because the weakness for the Rangers at times has been their bullpen where they trade for, they in this Montgomery trade, they get Chris Stratton as well, who's again had a fine year as expected ERA is a, a little bit below his actual ERA is expected ERA is around 3.8. But the dude spins the ball the spins the ball quite well, both fastball and curveball spin, which is very important for success. And I think that's a, that's an underrated piece for the Rangers really loading up with with the uh, with that bullpen. Both those guys are rentals, and this is really tr- a, truly a push for all in this year. It w- I will note that Max Scherzer, as part of the trade, a had to waive his no trade clause to go to the Rangers, and he also had to opt into next year where I still believe the Mets are going to be paying a majority of his salary opposed to the Rangers. Uh, when I talk about buying prospects, that's that's what I mean. The Mets are going to be paying Scherzer more than the Rangers will. But I think that's kind of interesting. So the Rangers really adding some things to their pitching staff here in this deadline to try and go after it. Uh, on the other side, the other <laughs> Texas team went after the other old Mets starter. Justin Verlander is now back in Houston. And again, the Mets are going to be paying a majority of his contract for him to go to Houston and get some better prospects back. Do we think Justin Verlander ever sold his house in Houston? That's a good question. Maybe not. He has enough money. I mean, he can own as many as he wants. Yeah, well, that entire family as a whole, for sure. There's a lot of money in that household. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Kate stayed there while he went to New York. Well, actually, no. No, Kate was probably in New York. Who am I kidding? Point being, though, if they did sell their house... It's kind of a shame because six months later, you're right back in Houston. Now, Verlander, to his credit, has actually not fallen off. Despite being 40 and a whole year older than Max Scherzer is, he's still putting together a good year despite missing the first month of the season. 315 ERA, XERA is only about 329. Houston's a team that they're third in starters ERA. And they've had their issues, too, with their rotation, right? I mean, you lose Luis Garcia. Christian Javier hasn't quite had the year you wanted him to have. But all of a sudden, they're bulking up that rotation again. It's going to be Verlander. It's going to be Framber. It's going to be Hunter Brown. It's a good rotation. Yeah, throw J.P. France in there as well. He's had a solid season. And Urquidy's also missed a bunch of time this season. I believe he also had surgery. But besides his, across the board, the, the numbers for Verlander are good. The expected numbers don't love him as much because he's not striking out as many batters. His strikeout rate is down to 21% this season. If you remember in his prime when he's at Houston, he was living above 34% for the strikeout rate. So it isn't going to be quite the same Verlander that the Astros got when he was in his mid-30s. But this is going to be a good piece to their rotation, which if they stay healthy the rest of the year, this is a really, really, really good starting five. And they make the playoffs. I'm not really sure who they're leaving out of the playoff rotation. I mean, they got a really, really solid group of starters. And that depth is... 
Not quite what it was last year, but it'll still be pretty good, and it matches up very well with the Rangers, who they're going to be going against for this division title. They'll cross that bridge when they get to it, because that's a good problem to have if you're the Astros, and you can't decide who to leave out of your starting rotation. They're not quite right back where they were a year ago. The Rangers are still in lead of this division, but the Astros are gearing up for another run. It's very, very clear, and the fact Berlander hasn't fallen off yet is a... A huge, huge deal. Obviously, the Astros don't make this trade if they think he'd fallen off by now, but he just continues to defy father time, and it's pretty remarkable. How much did your heart jump when you saw that Logan Gilbert was, for a second, going back to the Mets? Not at all. I, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to save my thoughts on that. for I'll put it later okay. in the show. But okay. you know what? I didn't buy it one second. The guys, they actually got back. Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, those are the Astros' number one and four prospects. They're both outfielders. So the Mets, again, got a good return back for Verlander. I mean, Drew Gilbert, that was their first rounder last year, number one prospect in the org. I think that's our favorite non-Mariner prospect. Oh, we love him. Our same friend that hates analytics. What am I kidding? He hates life. What are we talking about? He hates everything. (laughs) So, And basically anything that's fun. So last year when Tennessee was really good and nearly made the College World Series, they lost in a Super Regional. If you watch college baseball, you remember that Tennessee team. They were loud. They were fiery. They were cocky. They were competent. Everything. And Drew Gilbert probably led that charge. I mean, that guy was a firecracker. And that's why he's our favorite prospect. We have a friend that despises him and despises that whole Tennessee team. And as you know from listening to us, you know TJ and I are pro grow the game, have fun, basically do whatever you want that doesn't involve like hurting other players. And he's been he was pretty good as an Astro, and I, I think the Mets did very well with them. First round pick last year, twenty eighth overall. And they're also getting back Ryan Clifford as well, an eleventh round pick last year. He just turned 20, but he, again, is just tearing up the minor league. So I really think the Mets, for as top-loaded as their, I would say, organization was with all these old stars, they've made up pretty well at this deadline to get significantly younger, but not really cap themselves on upside either. A couple other trades that we can touch on here with the deadline. Michael Lorenzen gets traded to the Phillies, an all-star this year for the Tigers. And the Phillies, uh, they're in near in playoff position. And they can add to the rotation, which is already near a top 10 unit, but they can make it a little better with Lorenzen, who who's having a career year this year. Made an all-star game. Numbers-wise, is having his best year. ERA is about 3-5-8. Yeah, look, the Phillies are another team that's boosting up this rotation. You have Nola, you have Zach Wheeler, now you have Lorenzen, Taiwan Walker. We saw it with the Phillies last year. Even though they got to the World Series, what kind of was their Achilles heel? They didn't quite have enough effective starting pitching. It's deeper now, especially that you add Lorenzen. Now, he's only a rental. He's got two months left, but you're hoping you can milk the remainder of what you hope to be a 2023 career year for him continued, and he just pitches well over the next couple of months for the Phillies because he's been really good up to this point. Phillies are buying that he can keep it up. Does he slot as their three starter, I would think, like over Taiwan or or Ranger Suarez? Maybe. Uh, It probably depends. Yeah. I think he's the number three starter. Guy was an all-star this year. Again, he's been really good. I mean, look at what he's done. I mean, hasn't walked guys this year. His walks are actually way down this year. And he's just been simply really effective. Even if a lot of his hard hit numbers are not great, he's gotten outs. He got into the all-star game for a reason. 
Phillies traded for him for a reason. I think they believe he can be really effective the rest of the way and help them make a playoff push. Now we think uh, think about the ballpark factor for a second. Lorenzen will go from playing in a colder, cavernous ballpark, that is Comerica Park, which is enormous and probably way too big, to going to probably the smallest stadium in baseball, I would say. So if I was going to give a, a, a tiny bit of caution, that would that would be it right there. Along, the fa- along with the fact that his savant numbers are not great. Again, he does get hit fairly hard. So you're hoping if you're the Phillies, the curve doesn't flatten out. You're hoping that he just keeps it up the rest of the year and continues his production through August, September, potentially October. But the ballpark, the ballpark factor will be interesting. It will, if he starts to get lit up in Philly, it wouldn't be shocking. No, it wouldn't be. I would say one of the strangest things I saw today as we close out our MLB wraparound, Eduardo Rodriguez declining to go to the Dodgers from the Tigers, declining that. And I was like, wow, <laughs> someone just like, okay, Detroit, Michigan, the Tigers who are not very good this year. You have an option to go to the Dodgers. And Eduardo Rodriguez said, no, I'm good. Maybe he's got beef with somebody in the organization. I think he said it was family. He wanted to stay on, near the East Coast, mm. which which makes sense. But like he he's a he's also a rental, so you could just go out to L.A. and then sign back with an East Coast team in the off season. Doesn't sound too bad. L.A. in August and September and October sounds better than Detroit. Sounds way better than Detroit. And if you want to win. Yeah, I don't know. I saw some Dodger fans on Twitter though weren't weren't too uh, too happy about that, but no, very interesting. Rota- Not used to being told no very often. Not to mention that their rotation has stunk this year. Between you haven't had Walker Bueller all year, Julio Urias has not had a good year, Kershaw has been injured and is still injured. Yeah, it's been tough sledding for him at times this year. You want to get to speak your mind here? Let's do it. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. I think there's a couple things we're going to touch on this week. What is most pressing in your world? Let's do a utopia review. We were excited last uh, last Friday. When we recorded on Thursday, it had not come out yet, Travis Scott's new album. But five years later, he did actually drop it on Thursday night, Friday morning, wherever you were listening from. Uh, and I thought we'd give it a review. And I think this is good for Speak Your Mind because I think we have differing opinions on this. Yeah, I was sadly kind of underwhelmed by it. I thought it was going to be great. And I just, I'm just kind of listening through and I'm just waiting for it to pick up and pick up. And it just didn't really happen, at least for my earbuds. But like, what is great? Like, what were you looking for? I don't know. A lot of stuff felt really slow. It wasn't like the beat I'm used to him using. I know he kind of tried to tie it back to his really old stuff, but I guess I just prefer his Birds in the Trap, Huncho Jack, Astro World stuff more than what he put out this time. It had a Kanye West vibe to it, I thought. Old school Kanye? Uh, maybe. But I mean, I know I'm, he did have Kanye, I think, help produce a couple of those songs, which is where a little bit of that came from, but I thought he did a good job of diversifying. I thought he had some very, very good uh, features on there. I loved SZA on telekinesis. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, 
there's some other really good ones. Uh, Del Resto with Beyonce was good. Meltdown with Drake was awesome. Um, I don't have the whole feature list on here, but other good songs like Circus Maximus, Thank God, I Know, like all all phenomenal works. And they're all very unique, I thought. I I honest, I appreciated how different it was because I feel like if we got more of a, more of something he's already done before, I think people would say, well, this is just kind of repetitive. But you don't want repetitive. You want you want to be fresh. You want to every album you want to have a different tone and taste to it, and that's what he aimed for. I think with this, it was different, but it was different in a good way. I and mean, I was I was very pleased with it. I thought it was worth the wait. I, I wish it was in my world. I really do. I really wish that I had walked away from it being being of the mindset of this is amazing. Was it just not psychedelic enough? I, I guess was... I just it. I guess it just. I like Travis Scott both for when I say car music, I don't mean relaxing car music. I mean like something you can get excited about, along with gym music. And it just wasn't that in my mind. It just again, I I'm somebody who likes repetition. So if he had repeated what he'd done on his last few albums, I would have been more than happy with it. The problem is though. If he puts out a project like Astroworld again, then he's essentially he's not exploring anything new. And then there's no point of doing a new album. I guess I'm just sad that I'm sure the next time he puts out an album will be in another five years, so he won't get back to his Astroworld sound anytime soon. No, and I he's probably passed, I would say, his peak. You know, usually an an artist's true peak is usually around what, their third or fourth studio album give or take second, third, fourth studio album. Like his peak is probably already passed. So I know that won't make you any happier either. No, I, again, I just wish we'd get more of the albums like the previous three. I, I'm not saying I didn't like any of the songs on there. It just wasn't exactly my vibe. I guess I was expecting something else and hoping for something else. And I know I'm in the minority here because most people walked away from it saying they loved it. I guess just for what my own taste is, I didn't hate it. There's some songs on there I like. Again, I just kind of shrugged about it. Hmm. It's fascinating. Well, you know, sorry you feel that way. I'm going to continue enjoying it. I know. That's all you've got because you loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I'm going to continue listening to it. I'll, I'll, when I go to work, I'm going to I'm going to turn it on in the car and I'll, I'm going to listen to some more because it it really is good. I really I really like the the old school vibes because like I'm a huge rodeo fan. I thought rodeo was awesome and some of the, the vibes he had in rodeo. I did hear a little bit of that in this, I think. Well, a little bit more drums, a little bit more like rocky, like rock vibes with it. I thought that was thought that was him exploring his creativity a little bit opposed to just overloading the auto-tune. Oh, I liked Rodeo. But this didn't feel like Rodeo to me. It felt like something totally different than most of his albums, period. Hmm. Okay. All right. I guess we're well, agree to disagree, I guess. Yeah, agree to disagree, just like the Post Malone album, too, which I think we also agree to disagree, because I, I I liked it. I was listening to it again at the gym today. Oh, to be fair, I haven't gotten through that whole one yet. Actually, no. a, couple of, a couple of the songs on there are pretty good from the couple I've listened to. So that was an early review, because I listened to about two of the Post Malone songs as we were just waiting for Travis Scott to drop, drop his album on Thursday night, because it took a little longer than after 9 o'clock on the dot. But after going back and listening to a little bit more, again, I still have to listen to the whole thing through. No, it's it's pretty good. So we can he agree on a that. Slot on, he earned a slot on the college football ESPN music. So He did. It usually, usually means you have a pretty good song when, when that happens. That song was very good. Okay. Now what do you got? 
You talk about loving Travis Scott, and I still do. You know who I really love, though? Bob Nightingale. And AS, fellow ASU alum. Fellow ASU journalism alum. Now, it, Cronkite wasn't there when he was at school. No. He just went for standard communications journalism when he was at ASU. But he went to ASU, which I'm surprised this man isn't plastered throughout the walls of Cronkite. Yeah, I'm shocked too. Man, what a banger of a tweet today that we scroll past. I'm like, there's no way he just tweeted Logan Gilbert went to the Astros in the Verlander trade. There's no way he actually tweeted that. But he did. I had to make sure it was not an Elon bot. It was it was real Bob Nightingale. No, now you're going Bob Nightingale on me. You're saying Logan Gilbert went to the Astros. The tweet was he put out that Logan Gilbert went back to the Mets. Oh, sorry, I got that mixed up. That yeah. would see Logan Gilbert to the Astros would actually be a nightmare. I'd probably stop this podcast right now. Yeah. See, now you're going Bob Nightingale on me. Well, that's fine. I also went to ASU, so I le- I learned a thing or two from him. I know we do have a wide audience on here, so let's just preface this with. Bob Nightingale is a national reporter. He breaks a lot of news. He has a lot of Twitter followers. And for those of you who are on Twitter and are our, and are our age and are that tuned in on baseball, oh, you know Bob Nightingale. But for those who don't, he has become notorious in the last five years or so for just getting everything wrong. Between getting names wrong, between getting trades wrong. Remember when he was almost the hero of the lockout and there was that one night where he was tweeting that they are just on the brink of ending the lockout. And then it turned out the next day that he was totally wrong and burned everybody. I probably did. If if I saw the tweet, I'd remember it. He looked like he was going to be the hero for a second. And the guy that was going to break the news of ending the lockout. And then it turned out the next morning he was totally wrong. And then it still went, went for another week and a half. This guy's gotten so many tweets wrong over the years. It's unbelievable. It's at the point where when he tweets out news, People don't even take him seriously at this point. They're like, well, I'm going to wait for somebody else to tweet it because there's a half, there's a 50% chance this could be wrong. Like, and he's, it's become such a joke too. You'll see people every time he gets a tweet wrong now saying, I swear he's doing this on purpose. I swear it's a bit. I swear that he's doing it just for clicks and attention. And you would think that like, again, the name is right in front of you for this trade today. When he tweeted about the Justin Verlander trade, the trade is right in front of you about Drew Gilbert is one of the two prospects going back to the Mets. But no, he tweets Logan Gilbert. And on top of that, he tweets outfielder Logan Gilbert. Like, Logan Gilbert's not an outfielder. Duh, as anybody who knows listening to this. But somehow Bob Nightingale didn't know. And Logan Gilbert uh, himself said, yeah, I'm not that athletic. So, no way he can be an outfielder. He really is... Unbelievable. Do you think one day he's ever going to get like a big scoop again and is actually right about it? Probably. Every every time. once in a while, the blind squirrel finds a nut. He's ridiculous. It's always around this time of year when he gets into the headlines again. It's always around this time or during free agency when he just absolutely botches some report. And then it turns into the whole baseball Twitter world just dunking on him. He's earned it, though. He, he is like if I was a breaking news reporter. I don't know if I would get as many reports wrong, but uh, this is an inside joke that most people who know me would know. That, But like, if you let me control a Twitter account with 400,000 Twitter followers, uh, I, I would get roasted quite a lot. 
Oh, TJ misspells tweets and texts all the time. That's the joke. Just for second those who nature. Don't know. Just second nature. I'm missing that chromosome. Little peek behind the curtain. It is usually me who tweets things out. It's not never TJ, but more often than not, it is me who fires tweets off. So good thing Lyle passed his spelling bee. Well, if you see any of our tweets out one day and it's got a misspelling on it, you probably know who to blame. Yeah, you can point to that guy right there who's waving <laughs> waving on camera. Watch us on YouTube. With that, I'd say that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know you want to listen to the full-form podcast. You can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Make sure to follow, download our episodes, give us a five-star review. The five-star reviews really, really help. And make sure to go watch us on YouTube too. Full video podcasts are on YouTube. Go like, go comment, subscribe, turn the notification bells on. We're doing a bunch of show clips now too on YouTube. We're not just posting the full shows. We're posting show clips. So if you don't want to listen to a full hour, there's eight or nine minute segments of some of the meat of the podcast that we'll post on there now as well. So you go, go, go check that stuff out. And as always, on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.